today I'm chatting to Matthew Tognini, a father of a heart kid adult, Alexandra. Matthew has also recently finished up a significant period on the board of heart kids. He came to heart kids through the diagnosis of his daughter, who has a complex congenital heart defect. Alexandra is now a young adult who is due to have surgery in the coming weeks. You try not to think about it too much, but it's always in the back of your mind. It's stressful, but you understand that the care that we have here in this country is as good as anywhere in the world. Absolutely. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we record. Today, we are recording on country of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. We pay our respects to Elders past and present who are part of the world's oldest continuing culture and our first storytellers. We acknowledge the importance of supporting health for all peoples now and in the future. Tonight, I'm very fortunate because Matthew is actually in the studio with us. So welcome, Matt. Thank you. Sammy, good to see you again. It's lovely to see you and it's lovely to see you in Adelaide. So I know that you haven't just come to Adelaide to see me. Of course I've just come to see you, Sammy. Of course I have. (laughs) So for the listeners out there, Matt and I sat on the Heart Kids Limited board together in the early days. Matthew has obviously spent many, well over a decade, volunteering his time to the governance of Heart Kids. But today he's here in a very casual sense because he's here because he's an avid cyclist and we have the lovely Tour Down Under on. So, Matt, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Matt, let's introduce the audience and the listeners to life with having a heart kid and now a heart kid adult and the journey that you've been on. So can you tell us a little bit, can I call her Ali? Call her what you like, but Ali is fine. Lovely. Let's talk about Ali. So how old is she now? And tell us a little bit about your journey. So Ali is currently 19. She'll be 20 next birthday. And she was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect at the 20-week ultrasound. And that was just early January of 24, because I know because I had to cancel my trip to Adelaide for the tour down under that year, because there was a whole bunch of stuff that we had to do. Anywho, so she changed all of our birthing plans. We no longer could do private because we had to be delivered at the Women and Children's Hospital so that she could get the specialist care that was required. She was transferred day one to the children's hospital, surgery, I can't remember if it was day three or day four, to put a stent in yeah, so okay. that things could work. And then, you know, she was in hospital for two or three weeks. If I remember rightly, it could be a bit less, could be, it certainly wasn't any more. Yeah, so it sounds like it all happened really quickly. So take us back to that morphology scan yep. at that 20-week mark with your beautiful wife, Melinda. So take us back to that moment. Obviously, this was, was this your first child, your second child? Second child. So we had no issues with the first, well, none that were serious. And, you know, it was a shock. You know, we're numb for a bit, but we had good support. We knew a few people in the medical profession. We got referred to a very, very good paediatric cardiologist who stepped us through what was going to happen and what needed to happen. We relied heavily on the cardiac liaison nurse at what was Princess Margaret Hospital back then, Mary Tallon, who has been working with Heart Kids on the standards of care, which has been released next month, I think. We had reasonably good support in that regard. Heart Kids was pretty small. WA Heart Kids were pretty good. 
we got to know them quite quickly. And, you know, after the birth, it was just life as usual. Yeah, okay. What was the actual defect that Ali was born with and could they confirm that at the 20-week or did you have to wait? We knew there was an issue. Um, I don't know that, and it's a long time ago, 19, 20 years ago. We knew that she had a constricted pulmonary artery, a very small right, I think right ventricle, a couple of VSDs. One of the arteries was on the wrong side. It was a, oh, really yeah, complex. Yeah, a very complex issue. Didn't have a name. It's not like tetralia phallot or hyperplasia yeah. left heart syndrome. There's, it's not something. It's just a yeah, multiple, just multitude of problems. Multitude of, okay, that's so really complex CHD. So you've talked about, obviously, you were introduced to heart quids and taken into the hospital quite quickly. So when the shunt was placed in, was she... One, two, was that within the first week? Was that the first? It was first? three days, I think. Oh, it was wow, two or three, three days. days. Yeah. It's between two and four. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. And so how long did that last until she needed to have more major surgery? Well, her major surgery was at 18 months. 18 months. Okay. And how are you and Melinda dealing with all of this? So you've had this beautiful baby girl. Within three days, you're having a medical procedure, like you said, incredibly complex. So did you go home and act as normal until that 18-month surgery? Pretty, pretty much. I mean, we knew roughly what was going to happen once once after birth because we had been told. We'd been seeing Luigi de Sonia, the cardiologist, regularly. We knew the surgeon, David Andrews, would do the work and we knew it would be in the first few days. And then we knew that sometime in the first two years that she would have some form of additional surgery. What that was to be, we weren't sure. Mm-hmm. Neither were they at that time. So you just, yeah, we went home. She was a normal baby for all intents and purposes. You know, we knew no different. She seemed normal to us. Yeah. You know, growing yeah. at that age. Yeah. Now, like you said, Ali's, you know, she's about to turn 20 and she's in the coming weeks about to have surgery again. probably be late March. We'll get two weeks maybe notice beforehand. She knows it's happening. We've met with the surgeon. We've met with the cardiac team in Perth. So we know that it will be in March. Probably should have been last year, they say. But, you know, okay. because of a bunch of issues. Yeah, of course. And we understand that. We understand that. Well, a lot of the listeners understand that it's, you know, we talk to even families, like in our case in Adelaide, we travel to Melbourne and you might head over there and some even come home before the surgery mm. even happens. So very familiar with the timeline, constantly sort of moving. So why is it that that first lot of surgery happened in Sydney? Was it because just different levels of, well, as you just said, with heart kids, there's so many complex, there's some that are straightforward, there's some that need to go to Brisbane, Melbourne and so forth. Was it 20 years ago there was just different procedures? We, we packed our bags and flew to Sydney, stayed at the Best Western in Westmead, a short walk from the Westmead Hospital. It's, yes. Uh, there was no room at Ronald McDonald House, so we stayed there. You know, we met with the surgeon and he said, well, look, I think I can do this. You know, the worst case is she'll go into surgery and she'll come out with a fontan. Okay. But I believe that I can do the corrective. There was a reasonably high chance that she would not survive the surgery. But, you know, it was a 100% chance that she wouldn't survive without it. So yes. you, you take those. And when I say reasonably high, we're not talking 50% or 40%. No, no, but but, there's risk. Double-digit percentage chance that she wouldn't wouldn't survive. Melinda and I argue about the 
percentage. I remember one number, she remembers another, so I won't. <laughs> but as long as you remember when she was born, you took a little while, but you got there. So yeah. I think you should be, you're doing well with it those was, numbers. Uh, I'm getting old, you know, the brain doesn't work quite as well as it once did. Yeah, so we were there and, you know, she had the surgery. It was a long day. She went in 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning and the surgery finished, if I remember rightly, around 2 or 3 in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, long day. And so we spent the day walking around Parramatta, Westmead and so forth and finally, you know, we're waiting and we get the message that it's finished and it's a success and everything's good and... You know, we went in to see her in the intensive care and couldn't believe how pink she looked. You know, they didn't realise how blue she was until we saw her with proper blood flow. Absolutely. And she was, you know, it was amazing. So, you know, that was quite an emotional time. And then it was, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, a period of time in intensive care, then out to the ward. And this was all in December of 2005. And the government... I can't remember, the federal government, state government, can't remember, sent us all over. So we had a young lad. My boy was four at the time and they paid for us all to go over. Amazing. I don't believe they do that anymore. No, they don't. (laughs) So we were all over there. They don't. And I was entertaining my boy. My days were basically spent riding the train into Sydney with him and coming back and walking around. It's a good distraction. Yeah, it it made the time go past. Pass, yeah. We, just before Christmas, I think two or three days before Christmas, Charlie and I flew home to get everything ready and then Melinda and Ali arrived home Christmas Eve 2005. Oh, what a magical gift. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So then we had Christmas Day, whole family. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's magic. And clearly something you remember vividly. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose there's a lot of people listening, Matt, and I'm one of those. I don't know. We look ahead and we go, what will this be like? What will that be like? The thought, what's it like transitioning your baby, your child, even just from paediatric cardiology into adult? Because for me, that seems huge. It seems like almost sending them out into this enormous world. As we spoke before, the fraternity is quite small, so everyone knows each other, which is great. But talk us through, what's that like? Well, for us, it wasn't as daunting as you would think it might be. And I know... I have friends in the community where it has been difficult. One of the biggest issues in the area is having late teens into 20s actually continuing their care. Yeah. You know, continuing to see their cardiologist, whether it be annually or whatever the, you know, the requirement the, is. is. Yeah. And, but because Ali had such a good relationship with Dr. DeSonia, she was keen and happy just to continue on. She understands that this is something that. Whilst once the surgeries are done, you know, she has to live with her whole life and she needs to keep her health in good stead, so. And keep that as a priority yeah. moving forward as a young adult and woman. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, she's, whilst like she's like any young lady, any teenager, you know, you have your challenges telling them, they think you're telling them what to do. I think I'm just advising. <laughs> Mother thinks she's just advising. You have to let them come to the decision themselves. Yeah. But she's been pretty good with that. And that obviously speaks to what it was obviously like. Can you talk us through what it was like going through, you know, sort of the formative years and heading into those teenage years? Do you feel that there was any other significant hurdles with Ali being a heart kid? Look, we raised her and we were told by our doctors that 
she's a normal kid. Let her do normal kid things. You know, and her body will let her do what it, her, it will do. So we encouraged her to play sport. We encouraged her to do whatever. So we didn't treat her any differently. We didn't bring it up. You know, every year we went to see the cardiologist. We did heart kids events, you know, family camp, bits and pieces. She has friends who are heart kids. and Oh, amazing. You know, and she did teen camp when she was able to. Yes. And she's aware of her, she was aware of her condition and her friends are aware of her condition. They didn't stop her doing anything. Yeah. And that was the key, I think, for us. And we were lucky because the surgery, she had allowed that to happen. Yeah, okay. I know there's plenty of people who have one of the myriad of, you know, conditions conditions. that aren't able to do that. Yeah. But she was able to and we just allowed it to. So if she played netball, she would play as hard as she could and she was out of breath because, you know, things don't work quite as well. That was fine. Yeah. Okay, you just do what you can do. She's, she body. always had a bit of a you know, compromised immune system, so she would yes. get sicker easier and so forth, and we we're aware of that. So we tried to help her and tried to take precautions around that. So you know, if the people were sick, we'd keep, you know, you're not coming over. If you're, not, if you're sick, don't come over and that sort of thing. Of course. Yeah, a bit like we were all trained to do during the COVID times yes. and probably should be doing <laughs> all the time. If you're sick, you stay home till you're better, but hey. Yeah, right. that wasn't the norm before COVID, and that's it seems right. to be less of the norm now. Again, but that's hey, right. that's what we've done, and it's been a. She's had a ostensibly normal upbringing. Yeah, yeah, and so you haven't seen anything significant from the social emotional side. It sounds like she's been. She, I mean, she has her issues. Yeah, you know, she has to deal with the fact that she's got a scar. It's quite faded prominent. now. Yeah, but it will be quite prominent again yeah. in a few weeks. Yeah, she has to deal with the fact that. Up until now, you know, without the surgery she's having, you know, having children, whether she wants to have them or not, was a no-no. After the surgery, it's fine. Gosh, that's big. Yeah, and I don't know if she wants to have kids or not. She's only 19. I hope she doesn't have them very shortly. No, <laughs> but also, too, you want her to have all those opportunities uh, oh, to make those decisions. She needs to be able decisions. to make the decision herself. Yeah. You don't go through what she has gone through without having some sort of emotional baggage on top of the physical baggage, but she's been very good at dealing with that. You know, recently she's taken herself off to counselling and all that sort of stuff. She's dealing with the fact that she's going into surgery very shortly and it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's difficult enough for Melinda and I. It's considerably more difficult for her. her. Well, it's great that you've just shared with us that Ali's taken herself off to counselling because I think, as you referenced before, as parents, when they're younger, we can sort of tell them what to do. We can say, we can see you're struggling, we want you to speak to someone, or we can see that something's not right here, we'll take you off to physiotherapy or whatever it is. But like you said, you've now transitioned to having to step back, so to speak. But that's really mature and wonderful to think that Ali has recognised that she might need some additional help to cope with what lies ahead. So now I'm going to throw it back to you, Dad, and Matt and Melinda. How are you feeling now? Obviously, you said early on when you got the diagnosis, you were numb and you're doing all that you can to lead a normal life. You said earlier as well that this was on the cards at some point, now it's here. It's weeks away. How are you feeling? I can't speak for Melinda. Of course not. You try not to think about it too much, but it's always in the back of your mind. It's stressful, but you understand that the care that we have here in this country is as good as anywhere in the world. Absolutely. Second to none. So, you know, the chances of an adverse result are minute, touch wood, 
But it doesn't take away the fact that you're placing the life of your child into someone's hands and trusting them to do a good job to fix whatever issues are there. Yeah. I would be lying if I said it's not affecting me at all Mm. because it is. Of course. Is it affecting me as much as the first surgery? It's hard to say. I do remember the first surgery, vivid memory. I had a shoulder problem for a month and a half prior to the surgery. It was terrible. I just couldn't lift my arm up. It was pain through my shoulder. And I was going to physios and Mm. even in Sydney I found a physio to see and I just couldn't get it fixed. And when we got the good result from the surgery, it disappeared. Wow. So Okay. The stress. You were carrying it in your body. Stress is a killer. Absolutely. I'm significantly older now and I've over the years worked out some strategies to deal with that better than I did then. Sure, sure. But it's not to say that I don't have my moments now. Oh, and Matt, you're human. We're human. And even though we've created these little superhumans in the form of heart kids, because they are. Yeah, they do very well. They're little miracles. It is. It's that stress. And that's, I wasn't expecting you to say that. I wasn't expecting, I thought you were just going to say, I didn't feel the pain for that moment or for the rest of that day. But to think that the pain completely disappeared. It just also too, it's great for you to even just articulate that to our listeners, because I'm sure there's many a parent and especially father and mother who are listening to this now going, yeah, I had the same or whether it be, you know. As much as I'd like to think I'm special, I don't think I'm the only one who's gone through this. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. But I appreciate you, you sharing that because it's real. So what are the conversations like with Ali? Because as I said earlier, it's different when you're wrangling a toddler very different because you can make them laugh, you can sing them a song, you can play peekaboo, you can do all these things. But like you said, Ali's now a woman. So what are those conversations like? They're almost non-existent now. She doesn't really like to talk about it. Okay. So I remember, well, it was only last year, we were in Sydney, we met with Dr. Salamire and he said, well, you're going to have to have the surgery. And she was, you could tell that this was a difficult thing for her to process. Yeah. And so my sister lives in Sydney and the hot part of the deal was I'd come over, do the doctor thing, and then she'd spend a week with my sister. Yeah, lovely. Yep. So two days after the she stayed with us, she wanted to come home. She couldn't deal with it. She was emotional. and Yeah. So we, she came home and then we, you know, we had to deal with that. You know, not that she was talking. Maybe she talked to Melinda more than I. It's possible, you know, probable. And then we went to visit the surgeon or firstly the cardiology department and the local paediatric or congenital specialist who's going to oversee stuff here and you know she was a bit you could tell that she was finding it difficult to process and for sure and then then the surgeon and then she was finding that difficult to process so she went quiet she didn't want to talk about it and over time she sort of little bits and pieces come out so you just have to be available to talk when they're ready can't force them yeah Particularly not her. She's very, very strong-willed. Yeah. So I don't know that they get through without being strong-willed. Yes, of course, of course. And also, too, she's an adult and she's processing it in however she wishes to. And like you said, that's the part which I suppose, as I referenced myself earlier, the thought what that looks like just seems so foreign in my mind right now, having a conversation with an adult who's about to have their subsequent heart kid mm. surgery 
we play a very different role then. So let's take a different approach now because I think that's a lot just in itself for us to process and hear you share, which I'm we're incredibly grateful that you're so willing to be just really raw and open with what's going on in your little family unit. So take us back to what did Heart Kids look like in WA 20 years ago? It was very small. You had three staff, all very, very part-time. We've always had a really good relationship with Heart Kids, with the hospital, so we've always had a presence there. So when we were in hospital, they would come and visit and help and you know we got to know them all very well and then I got involved at a governance level so I got to know everyone very well. Okay so you jumps on? It was probably a couple of years or a year or so I got approached to sit on the board uh, at a state that level. level so that mm-hmm. I could fill the national role level. Okay. Because we had the National Heart Kids Australia board which was just member states putting someone so we could try and it was a very dysfunctional at the time. Functional in a lot of ways, but dysfunctional in a lot of other ways. It was just a oversight board, but couldn't govern the states as to what they did. But I sat on that board for a long time. And I suppose the purpose of that was understanding that this was happening right across Australia. And Absolutely. We to and, and, come we, together. and like us, we travelled. I know everyone from South Australia virtually travels. You know, rural people travel. Absolutely. So having a relationship with the organisations around the country is obviously beneficial, regardless of at a governance level, how it works. Absolutely. But it was certainly... So, for instance, we came to Sydney for the surgery. I didn't see Heart Kids Sydney. I was talking to Heart Kids WA. Yeah, okay, yeah. So there was no... Unlike now, there would be someone there to see us. Absolutely. I understand that's what happens. Correct. But back then in 2005, that didn't happen. Whether it was an oversight or not, we didn't see anyone from Heart Kids. No. I think also, too, with the organisation has just evolved, yeah, hasn't certainly. it? Absolutely. And if you think about your experience, what it was like in 2005 to what you now see today and, you know, just touching back on with the intro, you've spent a lot of time. I know we early on chatted about the numbers, but yep. we're talking just shy of two decades of your time that you've volunteered and dedicated from finance, through, you know, governance, noms and rems, all those sorts of things. And sorry if I'm boring the audience out there with governance talk, but I suppose what I am wanting to get across to the listeners is Matt has been one of the pillars that have taken Heart Kids to where we oh, are that's today. That's probably a stretch, but... But we can't do it without people volunteering their time. There's a lot of people time. who There's volunteer their people. time. And, yeah. and look, those people over the years helped evolve the organisation professionally. So I saw certainly a change in the ability of the organisation to deal with what it deals with. Yes. Through better hires, more more capable people. And we were a mum and dad organisation doing bunning sausage sizzles to make money. Absolutely. Uh, garage sales and all of these things to an organisation that can lobby government for funding and so forth. Which you think about that, how grassroots, we've gone from turning sausages and selling cupcakes to, like you said, having a presence with governments at state levels and federally, which is no easy feat. And if you think about that over 20 years, it's quite remarkable. So what is the next thing for Matt, because you're obviously leaving the Heart, or you have left the Heart Kids board, you'll always be a part of the Heart Kids community, and obviously we'll be rallying around you through the next few weeks and years to come. So, what's next for you, Matt? That's a really good question. Well, I'm sort of semi-retired. 
fortunate enough to have done well enough in my professional life to, at the end of 2019, to have sold my business and not require to work full time anymore. I consult to various organisations and so forth. Will I go into another non-for-profit board position? I'm already on another one anyway, but I was prior. I don't know. It'd have to be the right role. I'm not rushing into anything in that regard. Yeah. So I'm just trying to enjoy living life, not just working. No, and focusing on the important things. Yes. Like your beautiful children and getting through this next, I don't even want to call it a hurdle. I think it's- It's a hurdle, but it's a small hurdle. Yeah. Like you said, you've got a great team around you. You're in the best possible country, great surgeons, great care. Well, there's no doubt if I had have lived in the United States, this situation would have bankrupted us. And this is the thing, isn't it? I think sometimes we do get caught up in how, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things going on for people in Australia, but when it does come to healthcare for our heart If kids, you're sick, you get looked after. Yeah, and that's really wonderful. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thank it's a you pleasure, for- Sammy. It's always <laughs> nice to see you. Indeed. And we've loved, obviously, having you here in Adelaide and obviously you're going to keep coming back because of the tour down mm-hmm. under. Well, good chance. But thank you again and thank you from the entire community for your service to Heart Kids is what it looks like today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Sometimes this podcast talks about some heavy things. If this brings up anything for you or someone you love, it is important to reach out for support. The Heart Kids Helpline provides support and guidance for anyone impacted by CHG. You can call the helpline on 1800 432 785. To access more information about CHG, as well as support from Heart Kids, visit the website at heartkids.org.au. The information on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice from your doctor or healthcare team. Always talk to your doctor about matters that affect you or your family's health. 